This experiment could unleash chaos, the likes of which we have never seen. Monsters, demons, beasts from the sea. To clarify, you believe their efforts to solve the energy crisis might unleash demons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 486 with our review of The Cloverfield Paradox. I am Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you this week. Uh, not a lot of things... Well, so first of all, <laughs> in the last episode that we published, I was in the middle of getting extremely sick. I passed that on to Steven yep. while we were recording for three hours locked in a room together. And he was incredibly sick. Yeah. So we have not gotten to see anything, any theatrical releases for a while. Um, our plan this week was to sit down and review all of the Oscar-nominated uh, documentary films from last year. Um, and we're still going to do that. Uh, but something, something crazy happened yesterday during the Super Bowl. And that is Netflix dropped the surprise trailer for a <laughs> yeah, a tie dad. Uh, but they dropped they dropped the surprise trailer for the Cloverfield Paradox, the latest film in the Cloververse. And uh, it said coming very soon, and it turns out that very soon was directly following the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So as good podcasters, we decided that we have to uh, run in, <laughs> see this see this thing on Netflix. And then come back and give you guys a review before we get to our filler episode of reviewing documentary films. Um, so, we are here. We're going to talk about this. Wait, was this not a documentary? <laughs> not yet, Stephen. Not yet. Um, but yeah, so why don't we do the thing that we often do uh, when we're about to talk about the latest film in a series. And uh, talk about our history and our feelings towards the previous Clover Cloververse films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so start us off, Stephen. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't really remember how I felt when the original Cloverfield came out. I definitely saw it in theaters. I enjoyed the gimmick of it. I wasn't yet attuned to watching movies and wanting to have an opinion on them. I think I was still in a phase of my life where a movie was just like, "Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> Great, <laughs> movies are thing." So I like, and I've never revisited the original Cloverfield. So I don't, I don't know from a standpoint of being a film lover how that holds up, what was new, what was not new. Uh, But what I remember it imparted on me was the ability for special effects to remain what felt at the time incredibly realistic, even as the camera felt handheld. And that was a that was a combination that I'd never felt before, to my knowledge. That was a thing that felt new to me. And that was very exciting. Um, Fast forward to 10 Cloverfield Lane. I forget what it was codenamed before we found out that was the name of that movie. Uh, I thought that was a great movie, like a good pressure cooker film. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I want to go back and rewatch it. So, so far, they're like at least 1.8 for two for me. Like I have, I have fond <laughs> memories of the original, really good memories of 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I'm into it. I don't think anything needs to tie this universe together. I don't. I don't fully understand the desire to mesh these things that don't feel like they need to be meshed, but so far the entries are good, and if it's an excuse for more sci-fi to be made, then that, that sounds great to me. Um, so for me, 
Uh, I love Cloverfield. <laughs> the first Cloverfield, uh, I tried to go back and look, and it was an old enough recap episode that it doesn't currently exist on our site, but I had Cloverfield among my top films mm-hmm. of the year it came out. It may have even been number one. I tried to verify that. I'm actually going to give it to Cloverfield. Really? I loved Cloverfield. No. I I cannot tell you how much I loved Cloverfield. I honestly thought Cl- Cloverfield was amazing. Okay. Just the the whole feel of what it was doing and how it really worked on the relationships between the people. And I don't know, something about that movie just blew me away. I wasn't going to go to the server and pull Wait, down my file. what year did it come out? Uh, I, I don't remember, but uh, it was l- longer than four or five years ago, which I think is how many recap episodes we currently have on the 2008. site. 2008. 2008, all right. So it's been almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I love that film. It is the thing that launched my obsession with found footage films. It's still the best one out there. Um, I, I like. I thought Cloverfield was incredible. Um, everything from the the emotional journeys of the characters in the film to just like the spectacle of what it turned out to be. Um, when it came time for Ten Cloverfield Lane, obviously I was excited. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not just because there was another Cloverfield film. Mary Elizabeth Winstead was the star. <laughs> Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in there, but. The real thing was that Dan Trachtenberg, mm-hmm. somebody who, who I had been following for a long time, like this was his, his big like featured uh, directorial debut. And uh, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, just as you did. I think it was an exciting film. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about whether or not that film originally existed in the Cloverfield universe. Um, as we arrive here at uh, the... Um, the Cloverfield paradox, we know, like, without a doubt, this was not originally conceived of as a Cloverfield film, mm-hmm. but it was sort of shoehorned into becoming part of the Cloververse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm i a big fan of the the idea of the Cloververse, and I support more yeah. films being shoehorned in. I mean, obviously, I would love for films to be originally written to be part of this verse, but I'm, I'm excited for this coming forth. Um, as soon as this trailer hit during the Super Bowl, I was like... This is I. It was worth watching all this sporty ball. Like this is what it all came got down to. I started finally like, <laughs> something for me. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I like needless to say, I was very excited. Now, what if I told you that the Eagles versus Patriots game was a part of the Cloverfield universe? <laughs> then I would say, well, <laughs> good for the Eagles or whoever won. <laughs> and Tom Brady was the monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was just one of those things where like that, like regardless of how this film turned out, like. I, I had heard that Cloverfield, uh, or whatever the new Cloverfield film was going to be finally titled, I heard that it was it was potentially coming to Netflix. Like about a week ago, they started mm-hmm. talking about that, but nobody nobody knew that it was surprise dropping during the Super Bowl. Um, so, which like props to Netflix for being able to keep that a secret. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, for sure. I'm always amazed when anything remains a secret to that degree. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it was really just awesome the way they did it because like it was like here's your here's your teaser. By the way, coming very soon. It was like, what does very soon mean? Like, how, like, what are you just going to mean coming very soon? And then just, I launched the Netflix uh, app on my iPad, and boom, there it was, full header image, starts as soon as the game's over. It, it, it was just, it was, it was a pretty exciting few moments. Um, and now, I think, I think it's time we talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. 
All right, so we're going to take a listen to the trailer for the Cloverfield Paradox, and we're going to come back and give you a review. Possible earthquake here at the Statue of Liberty. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. all right so there it was that was the trailer for the cloverfield paradox um obviously this is the third film in the cloververse uh the the basic story is that the earth is in the middle of an energy crisis a really really bad energy crisis and things are getting like beyond uh the ability for the planet to survive um world's sort of on the brink of war over this energy crisis and a group of astronauts from various countries around the world are on board the Cloverfield space station with a like even larger <laughs> large hadron glider um which is called the shepherd um or just shepherd and basically they have this plan if they can get this thing running it will basically generate unlimited amounts of energy and the world will be saved um unfortunately something goes wrong and uh, crazy sci-fi stuff ensues. Mm -hmm. um, this is the type of film that we will probably have to get into spoilers pretty quickly to discuss. But we are going to do what we always do. Start off, talk a little bit about our thoughts on the film um, before we get into those full-blown spoiler spoilers. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Stephen, start us off. What did you think of The Cloverfield Paradox? So here's the problem in reviewing The Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> By the time I got to watching this film, which was not last night, the weekend when we crammed five documentaries, um, I, I squeezed this movie throughout my day, including the morning on this Monday uh, that we're recording. And by then, the word about Cloverfield Paradox was not only did you see Netflix's incredibly bold advertising move, it was also, by the way, the movie is not good. Like, <laughs> that was my introduction to the movie um, was... Can, can, I, can I stop you, Stephen? Mm -hmm. If you know anything about quantum entanglement, you know that this movie is both amazing and terrible. Yeah. Uh, well, if, if I know anything about quantum, mechanic, uh, quantum entanglement, I know that if I watch this movie a second time, it'll be really good. <laughs> um, so anyway, like many people were primed for crazy bad robot is doing a new Cloverfield movie and we get to watch it tonight. We are so excited. Positive high. And I was primed for the opposite of, Oh no, this is, <laughs> this is a movie that will not live up to expectations. And I think being primed in that light made me be slightly more positive than one would be if they were primed for an amazing movie. I mean, the, the movie is a hot mess. In parts, <laughs> this is a film that is clearly stapling multiple movie plots together. Um, I mean, this movie is basically alien, but it's also a movie about it. It's like almost like a. I, I don't even. I don't, I don't even know. It's like a. It, it's like Cloverfield in that <laughs> monsters are involved at some point. It's also kind of like and, and Discovery you didn't, you didn't or see, Life or something. Like it's a yeah, movie did you about end people. Up seeing life? No, I never oh, saw yeah. Life. But this this seems a lot like that too. Like this is a movie about people in space, and it it tries to do 
so many different things. It is like within the first 20 minutes of the movie, we get a crew who are heroically put together from various countries, including a whole lot of Mandarin, which I assume means that like Hua Hua Productions or whatever <laughs> was involved. Lot, a somewhere. whole lot of financing. Game. Yeah, somebody was financed in, in China that made them steal this idea from Firefly that people are speaking Chinese half the time. Um, so there's like this international crew come together to solve an energy crisis, like the wonderful geostorm of last year that we <laughs> that we all loved so much. It becomes what I think is a very, very potentially interesting genre flick concept, which is what do you do when you are literally lost in space, right? Like that that is an interesting... Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, you have the lost in space vibes. Like this is a question of wow, what are they going to do now? This seems like a an unsolvable problem, like an in-dan tractable problem. Um, <laughs> and, that is the dumbest joke. I know, it, it's terrible. <laughs> but but anyway, like like there are all these different things. And then it's hard to talk about without going into spoilers, but it quickly becomes clear that there are no rules in this film. There is nothing that... There's no hard sci-fi that defines why things are the way they are, why the world behaves the way it behaves. Uh, Chris O'Dowd says at one point, like, I don't know what the rules are anymore. And <laughs> he's basically talking about the movie. Like, there, it, there are just many things where anyone with a Chris brain would, like, <laughs> have absolutely no way to reconcile why all the things that are happening are happening. Um the redeeming factor of this film is I think the actors are very good for the most part. I think people are bringing their all to the roles. You can believe most of the characters. Uh, Chris O'Dowd, I think, is a standout. He's just like a a big, fun voice that reminds you that you're watching a goofy genre film every time it threatens to take itself too seriously. But, like, David Oyelowo is good. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, I always like seeing him in things. Uh, a lot of new faces I hadn't seen before, like... I'm not going to pronounce Gugu Mbatha-Ra, the, the lead Hamilton, uh, the woman who is at the center of this film. The, the actors are taking it very seriously. Like, they're doing their best with the material they have to make it fun and dramatic at the same time. And I will say this film plays best as a horror movie, I think. Uh, the way I felt watching this film was tentatively awaiting the next jump scare that was going to happen. And for a while, those are every three to four minutes as you're exploring this new reality that they live in. Um, I think that is the best way the movie can be experienced. And I think it's to that degree, it was fun. Like there was a good stretch of maybe 30 minutes where the movie was a pretty, pretty fun thing. It was just kind of a lesser alien, but like that's still fun to watch. Um, but I don't know. It just didn't amount to much, right? Like, it's a very made-for-streaming B-movie feeling. I I can't imagine a theatrical release for this film going well. But it was free for me. I was like... <laughs> I had an okay time. I enjoy what Netflix did with the marketing of this movie. I think they made a, make a whole lot bigger splash than it would have had it just come to theaters and been a little bit of a dud. But, yeah, yeah and, I don't and know. Like nothing... you, you have to hunt, like... Super Bowl commercials are expensive, mm-hmm. but so is like a normal movie campaign. Mm-hmm. And this guaranteed that that ad was watched by like, I don't know how many people watch yeah. Super Bowl, assume it's a lot, but it was like, they're like, guys, what if we just took this money that we're going to use to do it like an ad campaign that wasn't going to work mm-hmm. and we just dropped it all right here in the middle of the Super Bowl and then said like, 
like a remote drop. Yeah. <laughs> go on Netflix as soon as the game's over. You're already there. Like, I'm, I'm sure lots of people were going to go watch This Is Us because the house was on fire. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about that show. Seemed pretty dramatic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a lot more is on fire in this movie. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I give prop to, props to that. It's fun having an event movie, right? Like a thing that so many people watched at the same time. Yeah. That's always an entertaining concept. Um. My only regret about that format is piling onto that hype. There was a lot of talk of how wonderful this was because it's a film that features a diverse cast and uh, like it, it is directed by a person of color and Ava DuVernay was tweeting about it and Jordan Peele was tweeting about it. And there was a lot of like, cannot wait for this movie, David Oyelowo is starring in it all. And this is not a prestige film at all. Like This, yeah. this is not a film that I believe will survive that kind of hype unless the hype was just that like a grand cultural experience was happening right i don't i don't think in movie making terms this is like a particularly great movie yeah yeah Yeah. so that that's kind of a bummer yeah yeah. i mean this is not the film that lives up to all those types of tweets um i mean honestly it's probably not a film that lives up to much of anything (laughs) but all that to be said i had fun with this movie Mm. (laughs) like i mean when that trailer hit, I was like, "Fuck yes!" Yeah, I am watching this as like literally. Chris it was, texted me immediately. <laughs> That's the only reason I knew the Cloverfield movie had come out. I literally said, "Like, I guess it was worth watching the Super Bowl." Boom! We watching this tonight. We have to do an extra episode. Yeah. Um, and so here, so here's the thing. So, so we we know that uh, this is originally a film that was called The God Particle. It originally had nothing to do with Cloverfield, um, and it was shoehorned in via reshoots and rewriting and whatever. Um, and I think that this film is a th- – this is an interesting film that is honestly weakened by being shoehorned into the Cloverfield universe. Like, I think this is – like, th- this is no Sunshine, right? Mm-hmm. Th- like, Sunshine is still one of my favorite Earth is Doomed send people on a spaceship somewhere to try and fix it by a plan that probably won't work out. And these people are probably going to die. Like that genre of like the world is dying while this one humanity's last saviors are like on this ship going away. Like sunshine is an amazing version of that. Like I love that film. So much of this film feels like Do you it- even Armageddon, bro. <laughs> I mean, Armageddon can't hold like a asteroid to <laughs> to sunshine, um, but so like I didn't expect this to be able to live up to that. All I wanted was a kind of fun space film that exists in the Cloverfield universe, mm-hmm. and and like I said, I, th- I think that that attempt to exist is is where the film kind of falls apart. I mean, when Cloverfield happens, uh, the 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 planet isn't in an energy crisis any more than it is today. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that it isn't in an energy crisis, but just that like we're we're not all like worried about getting gas at the pump tomorrow because like we're out of gas. I'm worried about getting gas after the taco <laughs> truck we visited tonight. <laughs> Anyways, um, so so it's like clearly that doesn't make sense, right? Because even if this event happening in space causes the Cloverfield event to take place, um, which is what we have to assume is what's going to happen in this mm-hmm. film. The place that we start off is not the Cloverfield that we saw back in the day. Mm-hmm. So you have like so it, so it goes like okay, well I see how you're trying to make it work. There are things that connect, and you know you have a news broadcaster guy's literally saying like, "Oh, if this freaking thing fires, it could 
do all sorts of shit, including create giant monsters. It could unleash chaos. <laughs> monsters, demons, beasts from the sea. Yeah, like, it, like it's basically like really on the nose, science, like crazy scientist guy, like the equivalent yeah. of Alex of, Jones of the crop, crop duster guy from Independence Day is, is just on, on the TV, like explaining that like, oh shit, guys, if they fire the Large Hadron Collider, it could make Cloverfield happen. <laughs> like that's basically what a character yells. And the problem is that it can't make our Cloverfield happen in the context of what we're seeing, unless you're dealing with like something <laughs> in sci-fi films that may allow it. But the problem is that what this film does is go like, well, I mean, there's so many eventualities that like somewhere Cloverfield probably happened after this event, right? Yeah. And, and so it's it's on the one hand, I appreciate the audacity of like making a film where like fucking anything can happen <laughs> and mm. it doesn't matter. Like I, I was I was uh, perusing through the the Cloververse subreddit today and like people like were making jokes about how this is a prequel to Pacific Rim and like yeah. all these different things. And it's like, yeah, like literally anything like we were we were joking about the Tide ads where mm-hmm. like that one commercial literally ends with like, wait, can every Super Bowl ad be a Tide ad? And like this establishes that like literally anything is possible now. Yeah, anything can be a Cloverfield like, movie. To, 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 to quote um, Blade Runner 2049, this breaks the universe, <laughs> or no, this breaks the world. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so essentially like anything is fair game. And I kind of appreciate that on some level. But it Doesn't like, that get exhausting though? <laughs> appreciating it on some level? No, it- <clears throat> Having a film where there are no rules, so whatever happens could not have been predicted and will not pay off in a reasonable way. So what it allows us is, so I mean, I mean, shared universes are like a thing that are like defining like the end of last year, this year and moving forward in film, right? It's like Mm -hmm. everybody wants a shared universe. Everything has to be part of something. This can let things that are not even remotely the same genre exist in this shared universe with really vague connections. And it's like, so so Cloverfield 4, which they're already talking about, is essentially some like World War II Nazi experiment movie, right? Yeah. And it's like fucking ridiculous, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Like, I'm excited for Overlord or whatever it's called, like, which people on in the Cloververse subreddit are already joking that that's basically just uh, Wolfenstein. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's like the Cloverfield original event caused... I think Daniel Brühl was in cahoots <laughs> Wolf- Wolfenstein in this movie. Probably. Um, at least one version of him. <laughs> Dare I say too much. Um. <laughs> I'm really glad that they painted such a two-dimensional character. <laughs> subtle <laughs> um but yeah i i i think that the attempts to connect to everything is ridiculous but i kind of like I, it made me smile like mm-hmm. i kind of had fun with it it's kind of like the uh the end of of the latest godzilla film where like they go into that room and or no sorry was it it was kong skull island right where at the end of kong skull island like the post-credit scene is like a bunch of people in a room going like hey by the way, there's like a bunch of other fucking monsters. So, oh, oh right, I, get I ready was going to say this. This attempt to connect all the Cloverfield films feels a lot like the extended monster universe that apparently is happening. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah, make yeah. a lake of sense. Exactly. So, like when when I saw that post credit sequence, I was just like, "Fuck yeah, I'm gonna watch this yeah. shit." So it's like I'm I'm excited for where it's going. All that being said, there's a lot of dumb shit in this movie. Oh yeah, dumb mostly, shit. mostly like, dumb shit. Like first of all. I don't think that a gyroscope 
is the one thing that prevents you from understanding where you are in space. Mm-hmm. It might help you with orientation. <laughs> yeah. But I'm pretty sure that you, if stars are there, you can identify them. Yeah. You don't need a gyroscope to go like, oh, fucking there's the Big Dipper or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, we'll get to it in spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there are just things in this film that don't make sense. And if you listeners say this movie's bad, I have no defense for that. All I can say is I had fun with this stupid movie and I'm excited for these, this series to, to progress. Mm-hmm. I want them to start writing these films from scratch instead of just like going through the, like the rejected scripts and going like, Hey, this one could be Cloverfield <laughs> um, because that can only work so many times. <laughs> I heard the sequel to call me by your name is a Cloverfield movie. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, <laughs> that that apricot just <laughs> <laughs> he grows into a orange Timothy Chalamet, which, by the way, South Park already did it. <laughs> no, the real sequel is James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> nice, but yeah. So th- th- this film is ridiculous, but wrapped in its ridiculousness is like a, a genuinely interesting story, mm-hmm. um, which we will get to in spoilers. Yeah. Um, like there are I, some interesting moral quandaries. Yeah, like, like by I, the movie. I think um, I think that if this film didn't exist in the Cloverfield universe and it didn't, it wasn't padded with a bunch of these things trying to reference those films, this might have been a halfway decent film. Mm. It might not have made my top ten list by the end of the year. <laughs> Surely wouldn't have. But it would have been a film that I was like, yeah, like I I, I enjoy that. Like I, I enjoyed life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't the best movie ever made. But I had fun with it. And I think that this film is it's genuinely interesting. Like the the actual plot, not like the references that it has, is is compelling. Um and I like it for what it tried to do, both on the Cloverfield side and on like the genuine plot side. Mm-hmm. And I think that it yeah, I, I I'm Maybe it just gets the Netflix bump the way Bright did. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I saw Bright in theaters, I would have been like, fuck that movie. I watched it on Netflix and I was like, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know you know what's funny is people are kind of trashing Netflix original movies now after Bright and the Cloverfield Paradox. But two Netflix originals made my top ten list last year yeah. and one or two made Carson's top ten too. Yeah. So like Netflix is doing something right. And... and- of the Oscar-nominated documentaries that we're about to talk t- about in our next episode, mm-hmm. two of them are Netflix originals, and one of them's just on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> so, can't be all bad. Yeah. No, they they know what they're doing, and I think, I think even if this film, once the critical reviews stabilize, like I think when I checked, there were only twenty-five or something that had come in yet. Even if it remains critically panned. Netflix should regret nothing, right? Like, they got a lot of people to watch Netflix. That's what they want. They're in the cultural conversation. They had a funny tweet to David Ehrlich. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that. He he tweeted something in all caps, like, uh, he he said, like, don't say coming soon. Tell me, is it coming out fucking right now? And they tweeted in all caps, it's coming out fucking right now. (laughs) That's amazing. Which was great. Good on the Netflix social media marketer. That's amazing. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Netflix is doing this right. Uh, it's doing well, but yeah, well, we can so, talk. There are lots of problems with this movie. So here, here's the question. First, the statement: mm-hmm. Netflix will never release numbers. They don't do that. They don't have to. They never will. There's nothing 
they're not beholden to anybody to say like, well, this many subscribers happened during the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. We'll never know <laughs> what it did. But of the people that I asked, did you watch Cloverfield? All of them said yes. Yeah. I only asked three people. Three people is enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like 100% of the three people that I asked were like, fuck yeah, I watched that movie. Like, why would I not watch this movie? Like, yeah, it came Chris out. isn't in a demographic <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, but all these people were already Netflix subscribers. Mm-hmm. Sure. So <clears throat> Netflix has the numbers of how many people watched this directly following the Super Bowl. It wasn't competing against the Super Bowl because people could watch it immediately. It was competing against all the building on fire, this is us uh, things. So whoever yeah. watches this is us probably didn't watch this, at least not until This Is Us is over. Yeah. But, like, it's hard to tell whether anybody subscribed to Netflix because of that ad um, and what those people thought about uh, about, about their experience watching the film. Well, well, well so that's the question. Is net- And I know people tune in to learn about Netflix's business model, but it seems <laughs> For people who don't know what it is. <laughs> they, have, they seem to have an incentive not only to have subscribers, but to get people to hit more things. Yeah, because like that—that's why autoplay is what it is. It's why it cuts the credits and jumps straight to the next one. Is to keep people on Netflix more. I don't know why. I don't know if content creators pay to have their thing on Netflix, or if there's some revenue share thing there that makes them just want to have more people in spending hours in Netflix. But that seems to be their goal here. I can't imagine that many people subscribe to watch this new movie. But maybe, maybe they yeah. did. Like, I, I feel like it's very little. Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, who doesn't have Netflix? <laughs> I know, exactly, right? It's like a thing that just you have to have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I was going with it. I just... I, 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 it's, it's a weird world in which... Like, it would be one thing if, like, Apple was like, boom, this is our first, like, official movie that we produced. Here it is get it for five ninety nine directly following the Super Bowl. Like, that kind of thing, it's like there would be a direct monetary gain coming from the amount of people who tried to watch it directly following mm-hmm. the, the Super Bowl. But with Netflix, it's like, I bet you a huge portion of their subscribers who also like sci-fi movies probably watched it. Um, but I don't know. I, it's hard to see the one-to-one connection between the results of this plan um and because with a show if they were gonna like and that's the, that's the problem you can't even compare it to a show that they might have released directly following the super bowl because they would have released all the fucking episodes at once mm-hmm. and then people would have just binged it for like a day and then be done with it right yeah so it's weird with the, with, with a film that's just hour and a half or whatever it was what that does for their numbers other than saying like hey we spent 1.2 million dollars on the super bowl ad and all the subscribers we already had watched this movie the day that it came out. Um, I don't know. No, we we have no idea, right, if the deals they get with other film studios hinge on what kind of daily active whatevers they can show, right? So yeah. there might be a whole lot of other reasons that we don't have any idea about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, wild speculation time. Like, don't know what, what we're talking about. But yeah. I don't just, know the rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is very, very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think, uh, to really, really talk about this film, we should probably get into spoilers. Yeah. Um, so before we do that, let's go ahead and give a verdict for anybody who doesn't want to stick around for our spoilers and then close out the show normally mm-hmm. and then come back for spoilers. So Stephen Miller, if you were going to give this a must see, a record with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat. 
Excuse me. <laughs> a must avoid. What would you give it? My real rating is a bath with two twins in a tub of Rocky Road. <laughs> <laughs> But in an the, amazing line. But in the absence of that option, I'm going to give this a wait for rental. I And that is, like, a little generous. Like, if this were in theaters and I had been waiting for it and anticipating it, it'd probably be a pass for the caveat, right? Like, the, this is a silly B-movie. It's a genre E-movie. It has lots of goofy lines, lots of very silly sci-fi tropes, and very little holding it together. But I had fun with it, and, like... Judging it in the context of what it was, which was a sudden Netflix release that everyone got to watch that nobody thought they were going to be watching yesterday morning, it was it was fun. It's fine. I, I think if you go in expecting a fun, kind of horror-y, cheap thrill movie, you're going to have a good time. If you go in expecting grand sci-fi that answers questions about the Cloverfield <laughs> universe, like, first of all, why? <laughs> Why do you have questions about the Cloverfield universe? Second, you will not be you will not be happy with it. Yeah, so we we've talked multiple times about how uh, problematic our rating system is for episodes. Uh, like you said, quality wise, maybe this film would normally be a wait for rental. Problem is, you can go watch this movie right effing now by streaming it. So this is a must stream. <laughs> this is a must stream stream film. Right up there with predestination. <laughs> Uh, first of all, predestination is great. Second of all, it, I mean, just, just just watch this film. It'll take an hour and a half of your life. Uh, you'll probably hate some of it, um, but it's an interesting thing. Uh, the Cloverville, the the Cloververse is not going away. Um, so why stop now? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, it it should be noted this is the 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 third best or first worst <laughs> Cloverfield film, mm-hmm. but. Just watch it. It's fine. It's not going to kill you. It's literally not going to kill yeah, you. It, except for the conversations people were having about it leading up to its release, nothing about this film takes me tells me that anyone is taking it too seriously. Yeah. And that is fine. If you're all in this pack together that we're not going to take this too seriously, just be like Chris O'Dowd. Just like <laughs> wisecrack and enjoy it, right? It, yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That is the non-spoilery section of our review for The Cloverfield Paradox. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, you can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will likely come from the soundtrack if it's available for this film that if literally dropped last night. Um, there's definitely a score for this film. Hmm. Um, I just don't know if it's available the anywhere. The score is C+. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, that is, that is, that, that is our, our, our spoiler-free review. Whatever music is playing right now is going to fade up. Might hear a weird Cloverfield scream mm-hmm. or a Clover scream, as people in the Cloververse thread would would refer to the monster in a way that I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's going to play. And then when that fades back out, we'll be in full-blown spoilers. So damn it, if you haven't seen the film yet, go stream it and come back and join our spoiler talk.
Alrighty, so here we are. This is the after part of our review of The Cloverfield Paradox. Mm-hmm. We are now talking full-blown spoilers for this film. Let's briefly hit the interesting plot beats. Um, By interesting, do we mean positive? What's the difference? Or just noteworthy. <laughs> like, noteworthily hmm. bad, or things that actually provoked intrigue on a sci-fi level? So, so those might not be the same for both of us. <laughs> so, I don't sure. want to say which one it is, because I will divulge that information. Mm-hmm. Um, I, fuck it. I, I liked... Um, I like the idea of <laughs> the friggin' Hadron Glider, the Shepard, overloading, warping them somewhere else to another dimension. Sure. Um, them arriving in a place where they also existed, and them dealing with both the ramifications of that and the fact that they now know of the existence of this other version of them who's in a worse shape than they are, mm-hmm. and sort of having to deal with not maybe the ethics, but like having to deal with the weight of their decisions to want to warp back right. to their present time and with the people that they encounter yeah. from the ship that didn't survive like they did, who was potentially fucked by them arriving mm-hmm. in their dimension. Like that that whole scenario was really compelling yeah. to me. No, like, no, I, I agree. I think that yeah. ethical concept of people in a multiverse to what to what degree must your empathy extend to other people? Where do you draw the line, right? Where do you stop yeah. it? And it, it's an interesting thought experiment because they wound up in one multiverse, but presumably the theory would say that there are infinite multiverses. There's infinite like versions yeah. of them, and that can't scale. You can't care about all of them, right? You can't yeah. save all of them. Yeah. But because you have made eye contact with this one, because you've met them what do you owe this person? What don't you owe this person? That that's all interesting. I like I like yeah, that yeah. idea a lot. But it like, but it's not just like. On the one hand, maybe you can wash it away by saying, "Well, like there's fucking a million universes, so who cares about this one?" Mm-hmm. But your entry into this one potentially, like, no one knows exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You just arrived at a place. The other version of your ship is now crashed in the water on Earth, mm-hmm. and you are like. Well, probably not our fault (laughs) right i mean like no one knows (laughs) Mm -hmm. but people who are alive who are versions of theoretically you like obviously the the woman who appears from the other vessel wasn't a part of their original crew so they're dealing with the fact it's like well we don't know you you're not technically part of our crew but like you can look at look at her as a mirror to them like that is a person who lived through an event and now sees somebody there who is problematic for their existence, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to um, understand. Like, so in the film Sunshine, well, to try not to be too spoilery about, but I'll just make a slight comment about, like, there are characters who don't like what is happening, and their motivation is a huge complaint for some people who watch the film Sub- mm-hmm. Sunshine. Didn't bother me too much, the stuff that happened at the end. I was kind of fine with it. But characters' motivations seem to be governed by some weird ethereal understanding of our position in the universe and some mm-hmm. bullshit, right? Like some one character just like, oh, I, oh, I think that fucking the sun is whatever, right? <laughs> like we just take for granted, we have to take for granted that this character believes whatever he believes and he's going to do this thing. In this film, we know, like this is a woman who's the only survivor of her crew. Her fucking entire planet is doomed. She has that line where she's like, oh, kill three people. 
or fucking save eight eight billion people. Yeah. yeah easy equation. Like I have no qualms shooting all of you. Like yeah. I, I I really like that aspect of this film. Sure, that that concept makes sense, though she paints a false dichotomy as Hamilton shows at the end how easily resolvable this problem is just with like a little video transmission. Um <laughs> She also her method. Well, her, of, the, the video transmission she's sending is specifically to herself, saying, "Don't put that power cell in the house." Because no, and here is the information on how you can rebuild a functioning version version of the shepherd. Yeah, but a, a, as Just condensation, bro. But as the character, I, I don't remember the the woman's name who the the, the gold chick from Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it starts with a J. I don't remember. Um, her character though is like. You know very well that we don't have the resources to rebuild the ship in time to actually save the planet. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, she's going like, hey, we're just going to warp out of here, brah. But uh, here's some plans to build your own ship. Uh, good luck. Peace out. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like there is an understanding that, like, this isn't good enough. I need mm-hmm. your ship. Mm-hmm. Like, she could very much make the argument, like, we were worse off than you are in your time. So why don't you give me the ship and we'll warp back your life pods and then you can build a new ship in your world because – the worst thing you were going for was going through was pumps people in lines at the gas station, right? Mm-hmm. On my planet, fucking people are invading each other. Like, like they're, they're clearly worse off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like straight up the, the end of uh, Arrival, right? <laughs> where yeah. like entire governments are like, you know, we're just going to wipe out these people because freaking they might have figured out Mahjong better than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Right? More more parallels to Arrival, in fact. <laughs> like the, the prevalence of children who have passed away who are making you want to change the fabric of space-time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, too, like uh, another film that does something better than this film does, but like one of my favorite films of a few years back was Another Earth. And it's a very different story, but in, in that film, another Earth appears in our, our solar system, mm-hmm. literally on the other side of the, of the sun, just like this, this whole thing happened. Um, but in that story... Uh, our main character, uh, Britt Marling, has uh, basically uh, killed uh, members of a family while driving drunk. And one of the themes of the film is her wondering if the her on that other planet made the mis- same mistakes as, as her, mm-hmm. right? And that's like a major theme of the film is her wondering this. Um, and I think that this film has an aspect of that, but it does it in such a weird way where it's like, she's like, oh... My family's not dead here. Maybe I'll just fly down and be second, mommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's you can almost have a whole separate movie about the this failure woman. of that plan. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that, like how that plan degrades, and and also like, is there a chance that that would divulge into a scenario where she would be trying to take out the other mother? Like, there, there's lots of uh, like, there's a lot. This film itself could be a shared universe going forward if it wasn't tied to Cloverfield already. Right. So the thing, though, is I feel like I should preface, I've never been in a situation of being in another dimension where I know <laughs> I know a version of my children. I find myself in the darkest timeline all the time. Yeah, so. I know. I know. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but with that said, I felt like the way characters in this film treat the existence of some alternate dimension it it seems very shallow it doesn't seem to me the way people would actually behave in this revelation partly because they seem so bizarrely shocked by 
what are obvious logical ramifications of things they've learned already. Like, she realizes there's another version of her family down there. And Daniel Brühl never seems to realize that there's another version of the woman that he lost down on Earth because she wasn't a member of this fleet already. But, but like, that's another example where people are kind of... But, but he, he is the character who has the line when Hamilton's talking about going down to the planet. He's like, that's not your family. That's her... Fa-. Like, yeah. he seems to... He, he's the scientist. Yeah, in the he bunch. understands. <laughs> he he seems to understand the ramifications of our existence on a plane that yeah. we don't belong, and he's sort of like, it, it's 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 not that he doesn't realize it; it's that it almost doesn't occur to him that that would be okay to care about. Um, mm-hmm. Which the thing it, is, the film <laughs> seems to set that up because there there's some line uh, right after she she dies that goes like, someone's like, well, now we have enough to get back, and someone's like, we can't go back without Tam, and it's like. <laughs> She's dead. Like either you're either you're hinting that we're gonna go to Earth and find New Tam and bring her with us, <laughs> or this is just like a line that didn't properly get cut from the movie. <laughs> um, but but anyway, uh, Hamilton, the main the main female character, her relation with her family, and the drive she feels to protect them. Maybe one would feel that just emotionally because you want this is a chance to quote undo the mistake that you've made before. But I feel the degree to which she doesn't seem to realize that it is not her family is, like, hard to swallow. I, I feel like her view of this is very kind of simplistic and yeah. strange. Well, I think we'll be it, reconnecting it to another space drama. Um, if you look at Gravity, mm-hmm. right? Like, Sandra Bullock's character in Gravity, like, she only took the mission because she's literally trying to fucking escape her life <laughs> yeah. back on Earth. And... That journey that she goes through is governed a lot by the worth that she feels for the events that have happened in her life and how she feels about herself, right? Like, Mm -hmm. whether or not she's ready to give up, what she's willing to fight for. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all dependent on the life that she has lived. So, in that film, it's much stronger than in here. But it's like, there is still a sense of understanding the drive of the character. And, like, Mm -hmm. she's definitely blinded by, by her desires to to try to get back to the family and just see them again. But it's clear that like her and her husband back home have not been in the best situation. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're both dealing with the ramifications of like what happened, but it, it feels like I can understand her being willing to throw away her life back home to be able to stay here and even be like a passive observer of the children that she killed because she got greedy. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I was I was fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In general, I think the multidimensional stuff is okay. What I don't like is the way the film. The film seems to have an idea of what flipping to an alternate dimension means, which is very clean, almost like Back to the Future alternate timeline, simple, <laughs> like simple to understand. And then there are worms. And an arm, <laughs> an arm getting pulled off, and just crawling and sending messages well, to so, Chris so, O'Dowd. <clears throat> okay, so the messages to Chris O'Dowd. I have no explanation for that. No explanation for how the arm can even continue to live well after being severed. The arm suddenly being sucked into the wall. I did like because it's established that like this woman just sort of warped herself into the thing, and and what we see is. Connecting it to another film that is better, uh, in the film Looper, right, there is this thing established where, like, 
the universe almost has a memory of what it exists as. And when you change something in the past, there are like these ripples that sort of travel through time and affect the current uh, state of where you are. So like if you cut somebody's arm and you write something, a scar will start to form right. on your arm. So we see scenes where like the the pieces of the foosball table change. Um, change color, right? So like the players become different players and Mm -hmm. certain things around the spaceship suddenly like ripple and change as like the blah, blah, quantum entanglement, something or other. Like as the universe tries to reconcile itself in which uh, position it's supposed to be in which timeline, things change throughout the world, right? So like I was 100% fine with like suddenly his arm phasing into the wall as if like he was supposed to be a few feet over or something mm. like there there was some aspect to that that I was like I see what you're doing here I kind of like this this is kind of legit even when the arm just gone still fine because if you think of like portals that close and like your arm is like part part in and part out see I I feel like and Carson our one listener is going to be <laughs> so annoyed that we're getting in this, in this much depth about He's going to be really good when we get to our documentary yeah, episode. Oh yeah. But I feel like this film can't decide if alternate dimensions are simple binary things or weird nebulous fields of probability. <laughs> the way they return from the alternate dimension would suggest we've snapped our fingers and zapped and now we're here. And if we snap and zap back, if we get like, you know, enough gigawatts to return home. It's quantum entanglement, bro. Yeah, I actually so- studied quantum entanglement. <laughs> That's not what it means. <laughs> Boom! I'm pretty sure the ship exists in a superposition of both in the other dimension and in the original dimension. I mean, duh. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in a probability I mean, I mean, field. Basically, the film is operating on Looney Tunes logic, yeah. where if you hit somebody over the head with a mallet, they get amnesia. If mm-hmm. you hit them over the head with a mallet again, they get their memories back. Yep. I mean, is it really that hard to follow, Stephen? <laughs> No, I get it. I get it. That is why, though, one of my favorite lines was uh, when Daniel Brühl says, like, well, what I know about quantum entanglement tells me it would bring us back if we did it a second time. <laughs> quantum entanglement is about, like, if two particles were both in a state and collided, then now they're entangled together. And, like, if you looked at one, you'd know what the other one did. Anyway, that's completely completely different from the idea of, like, zapping a thing and being back in a new Yeah, so if you look universe. at the arm of <laughs> Chris O'Dowd. You would know what the other half of the arm is doing. And you agree it's, that the arm having a message to send is bizarre. Oh, yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. It's, I mean, the arm still being alive is bizarre. Mm-hmm. So the assumption is that that arm came from another dimension where the individual cells of a body are sentient. Yeah. <laughs> and it switched places. So with here's, them. Another, here's another question. What is it about the Russian guy that made both the worms and the gyroscope zap inside his body? So, first of all, the Russian guy was a fit guy, right? I could maybe hold <laughs> that gyroscope inside of me without you <laughs> noticing. The Russian guy, it would have been like they Mary Poppins bagged yeah. <laughs> his stomach to pull that gyroscope out of it. <laughs> also, here's my problem with the gyroscope. Besides what I already stated about gyroscopes aren't the thing that allow you to tell which stars are which. Really, they only measure angular momentum, not absolute <laughs> rotation. But anyways, the thing with the gyroscope is, okay, cool. Fucking Large Hadron Collider is colliding Large Hadrons. Oh, yeah. 
Higgs bosons are just <laughs> going all over the place. Um, so that shit's like making its beam. It overloads, warps them wherever. The gyroscope gets warped out. Fine. Here's the thing. You're trying to connect these Cloverfield movies. We all know that at the end of Cloverfield, when you're playing the footage of them on the Ferris wheel, girl says, today was a good day. In the background, something falls into the water. We've always said it's a satellite. All Whatever. of us who talk about it all the time. <laughs> it could have been the fucking gyroscope. <laughs> could have been the gyroscope that fell into the water. Gyroscope with worm jizz on it. <laughs> that leads to the first original Cloverfield monster. Right? Simple. Yeah. But no. Warp it inside of the Russian guy's body. Warp all the worms inside his body. <laughs> Give some freaky eye twitching shit and then have him explode like makeshift thing style. (laughs) Everything about the Russian character to me exemplified the worst parts of this movie. Yeah. Like the drama between him and Daniel Brühl before all this goes down is like they've been together for two years. And at this moment, because the camera is introducing us to them, he gets in a shouting match that becomes a punching match, accusing each other being spies and crazy stuff. I mean, you you heard that Russia was going to invade Germany mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever yeah. was going to go down there. Um. Um, <laughs> the worm stuff to me, that was just such like easy, low-hanging fruit tropes of psychological thriller, well, sci-fi-y type movies. Like that's the Scarab Beetles and the Mummy. So, so that's here, the Alien and Alien. <laughs> here's the thing, though, about the worms. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure if we go back to the first shots of this movie... Those are like eels, giant, giant, giant worm creatures mm. in these large tanks. And they become like little itty bitty like the worms that come out when it rains. <laughs> and that's where the movie lost me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just mean that like, like what I assumed was like, shit, they warped out and all the worms warped into space and they're falling to all the planets. And now like all the planets in the solar system are Cloverfield planets or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. My brain's... Firing on all cylinders harder than the writing team was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, it, it was one of those things where I was like, why? I, I just, eh. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Can we get to another a mini rant I have that has nothing to do with the sci fi of this film? <laughs> sure. Every movie that has a person texting decides no matter what the gravity of the situation, people who text will use abbreviations like you are to be your. And in this case, this Michael guy is driving and he has like, he has just rescued this child and he texts his friend and he says, can I use Ur shelter? <laughs> well, Stephen, I know you're a responsible person and would never text and drive. But when you're driving, you gots to have shorthand. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get in an accident. Have you seen that commercial they play at the movie theater with the kid? The ghost child in the back of the car who's like, don't worry, I'm not here. And he's like, what? I'm there. And then the kid runs in front of the car and then boom, gone. I haven't. No, I've never seen that. I've been too busy texting during the movie. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> mine is for that. My, my main point is that this Michael character, it seems like everything about him was shoehorned in just to make this a Cloverfield movie. Yeah, it isn't yeah. clear at all why anything he is going through relates to whatever's happening up on Shepard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I assume in the original draft of the film, he also died in the battery pack fire of 
Back when his wife put the Samsung batteries in their apartment. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, and the other thing is everything about him and his relationship with Hamilton, it seems like the movie's way of hammering home very obvious emotions in really extreme ways. Like, when they get clearly transported to another galaxy or another dimension, they can't find the Earth. She runs to the communicate with the Earth thing that they already know won't work (laughs) and is staring at it, like, crossing her fingers, like, come on, come on, come on. She's, like, like a NASA scientist. Like, she knows that won't work. (laughs) I don't know. I'm judging her grief way too hard. She's no Matt Damon. (laughs) No, she's no Matt Damon. Um. The script... To me, it's just odd, too. Like, the way characters react to the unknown woman being in the wall, their big shock comes when she knows their name, not, like, the presence of an unknown woman in their wall all of a sudden. There are just weird moments in the film where it feels like it's trying to highlight that a thing is weird and characters are discovering that something is amiss, like, roughly 10 minutes after they should have already known something was amiss. That just feels like kind of lazy writing. Well, I mean, I I think... If I can try to stretch for the film, I would say that, like, they're starting to have an understanding that they may have moved possibly parallelly into another dimension. So, like, it's less freaky that a person who they don't know is here and more freaky that that person knows them because, like... To me, it's freakier that a person they don't know is there because is that, like, an alien thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to shoot them? Well, so so first of all... Like, for the most part, I think characters in this film make intelligent decisions. It's not like most movies are like, I know that guy's being attacked by a velociraptor, but I'm going to open this door. Mm. <laughs> right? It's not like that. But the one thing that I would be like, no, like, that doesn't sound like a woman screaming. That was like little baby Cloverfield monsters screaming, yeah. right? If I was on a ship that just had eels that are now all gone, <laughs> and then now there's this horrific shrill screaming coming from the walls, I'd be like, no. Suicide <laughs> <Hell> no. backed. <laughs> yeah, suicide backed. I'd be like, where are those escape pods? I'm going to launch myself directly into the sun because I'm getting the fuck out of here. I do not want to die from weird space eels mm. that got like magically powered by a large Hadron Collider. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I do also like that one that one scene where one of the characters is like, why do you think we put this thing up in space? Because we couldn't do it down on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good times. Good times, yes. Do, do you have any last things to say about this film? No, it it's just a cheesy movie. So good. That's all there is to it. It's a very cheesy movie that is having fun with how cheesy it is, but... It is not hard sci-fi. It has like a few hard sci-fi concepts. I think the multiverse ethical ramifications are interesting and one could come up with very interesting thoughts about what you owe these people, to what degree ought they care about the plight of this woman and her planet? Are they being selfish by stopping her? Should we be rooting for them for stopping her? That's all kind of interesting, but like the other 95% of the movie is is just silly popcorn flick fluff and it's fine it's fine yeah well i agree so uh should we warp ourselves on out of here and go start talking about some documentaries yeah (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening we'll see you in a little bit